Right. Listen. <laughs> Did I clip? No. It scared me. <laughs> I just got excited. <laughs> and that's your outtake. <laughs> I'm Skylar Weldon. And I'm Juliana Cantarelli-Vita. This is Massa, a podcast about Brazilian music and culture. Skylar and I are musicians and music professors. In each episode, we dive into a specific genre, song, artist, or issue in Brazilian music to try to understand how it works and what it means. Hi, Juliana. Hi, Skylar. <laughs> so this is different. <laughs> yes, I would say so. <laughs> Might as well give a little peek behind the scenes. Up till now, we've recorded every episode using a video conferencing app uh, with you in Seattle, Washington, and me in Worcester, Massachusetts. But today, we're recording from the same room. So if things sound any different, that's why. Though, if you're listening to these episodes out of order, for ex example, if you were assigned to this episode as part of a course in, say, 2026, then a slight audio difference probably doesn't matter to you. That's true. So, why don't we get into it? Okay, this is our sixth episode about the genre known as forró. <laughs> yes, forró is a popular genre that originated in the Brazilian Northeast and was spread throughout the recording industry starting in the 1940s, initially spurred on by a composer and accordion player named Luis Gonzaga. Forró is dance music, uh, but it's not characterized by a single rhythm. You can hear all about some of its primary subgenres, such as arrastapé, Xochi, uh, Chachado, and Bayon in the last few episodes. It has remained popular until today, though it, it has changed somewhat over the years. Originally, it was played mostly by a trio of accordion, triangle, and a large bass drum called Zabumba. That style of forró still exists today, but it's usually called forró pé de serra to distinguish it from other forms. Because by the 1970s, it was common for forró recordings and performances to feature other instruments like bass guitar, drum set, and keyboards. Along with the shift in ensemble, forró musicians have also combined the tradition with other genres and adapted it to a number of different lyrical contexts. Today we're going to discuss the genre known as forró universitario, or university forró, which emerged in the southeast of Brazil, specifically in São Paulo, in the 1990s. We'll get more into the history and context in a little bit, but for now, let's jump right in and play a song to give everyone a sense of what Fajal Universitario sounds like. Great! Here's the band Fala Mansa with their classic, Shot da Alegria, from 2001. Aquilo que eu sempre quis E se acaso você diz Que sonho um dia em 
What do you think? Well, there are some things here that regular listeners probably picked out as standard elements of Foha. Like what? Well, like the ensemble, it has the accordion, triangle, and zabumba. The bass even follows the zabumba like we've seen in so much Foha from the past 40 years or so. It also sounds like there's a guitar. You can hear it in the right channel. <laughs> Actually, the more I listen, I can't tell if there's a zabumba or not. Uh, there's what sounds like a rim click or a snare drum and quite a few cymbals being played. It's possible that what I'm hearing as a zabumba is the kick drum from a drum set. <laughs> It's possible. It's pretty hard to tell. There is definitely more percussion than just a standard two instruments. For example, don't forget the chimes. <laughs> uh, besides the instrumentation, this is a specific faha rhythm. Yeah, this is a shoti, a genre that we discussed in depth in episode 10. You can hear the specific zabumba rhythm. That marks pretty much all shotis. Definitely. It seems like Fajo Universitario has a lot in common with other Fajo we've heard. For sure. For example, check out this song, which is from the same period, but not associated with Fajo Universitario. It's called A Natureza das Coisas, or The Nature of Things. It was composed by Asioli Neto, who we learned about in episode 10. The performer is Flavio José. He's from the northeastern state of Paraíba. Coisa boa é namorar Se a veste não Amanhã pode acontecer tudo, inclusive nada Se a veste não a lagarta rasteja até o dia em que cria asa. 
se afeste não Que a burrinha da felicidade nunca se atrasa Se afeste não Amanhã ela para na porta da sua casa Se afeste não Toda caminhada começa no primeiro passo a natureza não tem pressa, segue seu compasso Inexoravelmente chega lá Se aveste não Observe quem vai subindo a ladeira Seja princesa ou seja lavadeira Pra ir mais alto vai ter que suar. Oh. Yeah, wow. In a lot of ways, that sounds similar to the Falamansa song. I think so. It has the same ensemble pretty much. I mean, minus the chimes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Flavio José's band includes the accordion, triangle, zabumba, bass, and even drum set. No guitar here, though. Or, or chimes, of course. <laughs> Also, both songs are shotties. Definitely. But this is not Forró Universitario. I guess not. Mm, wait, can we compare these to something we listened to in our shotty episode? Sure. Let's listen to Eu Só Quero Um Xodó by Dominguinhos. Okay. Que falta eu sinto de um bem Que falta me faz um xodó mas como eu não tenho ninguém Eu levo a vida assim tão só Eu só quero um amor Que acabe o meu sofrer Um xodó pra mim Do meu jeito assim Que alegre Wow. Once again, it's a shochi, and it's the same ensemble, accordion, triangles, abumba, bass, and drums. And Dominguinhos is also not associated with Vajó Universitario. All three of these recordings are from the turn of the 21st century. The Dominguinhos record is from 1998, Falamansas is from 2000, and Flavio José released his song in 2003. So, if on the surface, Vajó Universitario is similar to other Vajó of the time, then what distinguishes it? Well, there are a couple of musical characteristics that we can highlight, and we'll do that. But it seems that most scholars agree that the thing that distinguishes Fajó Universitario is the social class of its listenership. Ah, yes. It's not called University Fajó for nothing. No. So let's talk a little bit about that name and the history of the genre and circle back to some musical details that we can listen for. Sounds good.
Throughout this Fajó series, we've highlighted how a number of dance rhythms popular in the Brazilian Northeast, particularly in the arid interior region called the Sertão, became popularized within the Brazilian recording industry, originally by the Pernambucano Luiz Gonzaga, but also by contemporaries of his like Marinês and Jackson do Pandeiro and Venancio Curumbá, who also came from the Northeast. And we've also shared examples of performers from subsequent generations who took up these rhythms and played them in fairly traditional ways, like Maria da Paix and Mestrinho. But peppered throughout the series, we've mentioned examples of fajó interpreted through or alongside the genre known as MPB, MPB, or Música Popular Brasileira. Basically, from its outset, MPB was associated with the middle class. Many of its most popular earlier stars, people like Nadalion and Chico Buarque, came from wealthy families in the cities of Rio de Janeiro and São Paulo. They played music that owed an aesthetic debt to bossa nova, another predominantly middle and upper middle class phenomenon. And unlike genres associated with the urban and rural working poor, MIPB was distributed through LPs and popularized through television, two media forms that were not accessible to everyone. In contrast, from the earliest days of Luis Gonzaga's career and continuing for decades, Fajó maintained a strong association with the working class. Frequently, this meant Northeasterners, either in the Northeast or displaced through migration. But when MPBistas like Zé Ramalho and Javan adapted forró rhythms like Chachado and Bayon, they also created a new context for forró, one that helped popularize these rhythms for the middle class. And that's not to say that this is a story of appropriation. Um, many of these musicians grew up listening to and playing forró. They frequently highlight the importance of people like Luis Gonzaga, and many of them even recorded with him during his life. Right. But it's fair to say that unless filtered through MPB, Fajó was, in general, not seen as a middle-class genre during the first 40 or 50 years of its existence. But in the 1990s, some university students in Sao Paulo... They may have grown up listening to Fajó-inflected MPB. Yeah, well, they began to listen to and eventually play the Fajó of Luis Gonzaga and others. And they started to frequent the Fajó clubs that already existed in Sao Paulo to serve the many migrants who had settled there. So far, so good. Where it might get a little uncomfortable is that a lot of the literature on Fajó Universitario indicates that these students characterize this experience as a kind of, in quotes, discovery that they saw Fajó as an authentic expression of an older, unadulterated Brazilian culture. Yeah. The northeast of Brazil, as we've mentioned, has long been held up in literature and film and music as kind of untamed, real version of Brazil. A version of Brazil that existed in the past everywhere and now only exists in the northeast. <laughs> Which is, of course, incorrect. <laughs> and sadly, this is a characterization that has some really damaging effects for northeasterners who are frequently caricatured as uneducated and backwards. So, for some young people in places like Sao Paulo, whether they had a connection to the northeast or not, Fajó may have represented a way to access their roots. Even if the northeast is not the frozen in time place, that they imagined. And even though Fajó is actually the product of the encounter between traditional Northeastern expressive forms and the Southeastern music industries. 
Right. Listeners to the last few episodes will know that Fajó has never existed as an uncomplicated musical representation of the Brazilian Northeast. It has been shaped by migration and the interplay between traditional forms and their expressions in the market. And plenty of the most revered and influential artists have explored ways to expand the genre's palette, either by adding new instruments or by crossing Fajó with other genres. That's very evident in Fajó Eletrónico, as we'll hear in our next episode. But it remains the case that Fajó Universitario is named for practitioners and listeners, mostly university students, who engaged with Fajó because they saw it as a tether to the roots of an authentic Brazilianness. Even if we know that it isn't in any literal way. Right. That said, it's part of Fajó tradition to have songs that look back. For example, the stories of migration and the songs expressing saudade Nostalgic longing. for the Northeast. Especially songs like Asa Branca by Luis Gonzaga have lyrics that articulate some of these feelings. That's true. So Falamasa could be picking up on that as well. Do these lyrics do a similar thing? Let's listen and find out. So that first verse says something like, If one day somebody told me to be what I am and what I like, I don't know who I am, and I'm going to change to be what I always wanted to be. Okay, that's a little confusing. (laughs) And he goes on. And if by chance you say that you dream to be happy, be sure to really mean it. Why cry your pain, drowning in agony about a tempest in a teapot? Dance the shot of joy. Okay, so the lyrics go around and around, (laughs) but basically they say, don't bother being sad, dance and be happy. (laughs) Basically, yeah. Hmm. So they aren't really about nostalgia as we've seen in other fajos. But it's interesting that these lyrics are what middle-class folks in Sao Paulo would put on top of Fajó, especially if they are understanding it to be a musical connection to an imagined past. Right, because it makes the past seem like a source of joy. And that's never problematic. Never. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I bet some people are still confused about how the three Fajó examples we heard before were also similar. Right. In terms of instrumentation, Fajó and tends to be fairly similar to the others, albeit with the occasional guitar. And chimes. <laughs> And chimes. Who could forget the chimes? And we've already established that the basic shochi rhythm is present here, and the ensemble is fairly similar. Yes, exactly the same. And yet. What? Well, there are some musical differences. 
At least there are some things in Shoch Daligria that distinguish it from most Fahopej Seha. Let's talk about those. Okay. Um, well, what's one of the most common elements of Fahal that we've highlighted across all of these episodes? Well, the rhythms vary, so it's not that. There are some topics that recur, but that hasn't been super consistent. I assume you mean besides the instrumental ensemble? Yeah, besides that. Well, then maybe the Mixolydian scale? The building blocks for tons of Fahal harmony and melody. Yes, that's what I was hoping you would say. A scale is a series of notes in ascending or descending order. The Mixolydian scale is similar to the major scale, except one of its notes, the seventh scale degree, is a little bit lower. So, instead of this... You want me to do it? I can do it. Okay, you can do it. Ugh, I'm such a terrible singer, though. You got this. Uh, so instead of... Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do... It's like... Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, te, do... Yeah. Good enough? Yeah, that was great. We've heard it in a number of songs, including... Eu só quero um xodó. Eu só quero um amor The first syllable of quero emphasizes that lowered seventh degree that marks this as the Mixolydian scale. Yes, exactly. But Xoxa da Alegria uses the major scale. It's quick, but you can hear him sing the raised seventh that tells you that this is not Mixolydian on the line And Valjir, the accordion player, seems to be aware of this harmonic discrepancy because on the little lick he plays in the chorus, he actually plays both the lowered and raised sevenths, though he just passes through the lowered seventh on his way to the raised seventh. (laughs) Oh yeah, he does play around with this. I don't think it's just the major scale that distinguishes this song from a lot of the other fahal we've listened to. Oh, yeah? No, I think there is something that really marks it as a turn-of-the-millennium pop song. What's that? The chord progression. Oh, a chord progression is another way of talking about harmony, particularly music from the European tradition. What is it about this chord progression? Well, this song's chords are basically the same as the one from Johann Pachelbel's Canon and Gig in D major specifically the first movement, which is known as Pachelbel's Canon. Isn't that from, like, the 17th century? 
I thought we were talking about the turn of the 21st century. (laughs) (laughs) We are, actually. As it happens, it was something of a trend for popular songs from the U.S. and Latin America to use this progression in popular songs in the 1990s and early 2000s. Really? Yep. There are tons of examples, but here's a really straightforward one. This is the song Hook by Blues Traveler, which was the top 10 hit in the U.S. in 1995. That's the same progression, all right. Um, it even has something in common with Shot de Alegria in terms of the bouncy, you know, laid-back feel. Totally. There are dozens and dozens of pop songs from that era that use this progression or a variation of it. Um, we'll link to a video by the Australian comedy band Axis of Awesome. Um, the video is called Four Chords, and it showcases a number of these. It's incredible how many date to this specific era. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at the list right now. It includes John Osborne, Green Day, U2, Train, dozens of others. Now, you're the one who told me not to be Googling while we're recording. So get it together. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Uh, As we mentioned, this trend wasn't limited to Anglophone popular music. Here's Juanes' 2004 hit, Volverte a Ver. Yep, that's it, all right. The progression also seems to lend itself to an endless circle of repetitions. A music theorist, that is someone who is an expert in 18th and 19th century European harmonic structures, would have to weigh in on how this whole thing works. Yeah, but regardless, it is culturally informed, right? Decades of listening to European-derived harmonic structures play their part. And those structures were imposed in Brazil, just like other parts of Latin America and the U.S. For sure. For whole Universitario musicians, like all young people, were probably listening to U.S. pop, as well as Brazilian genres. Definitely. You know, if we compare Chote d'Alegria to other Brazilian pop songs from that time, I bet we could find some elements in common. Let's do it. Okay, two songs jump to mind. Let's start with one that predates Falamansa by about six years. The classic TV by the band Skunky. Ah, 
aha, I think I know one of the parallels you're drawing. What's that? Well, this is clearly indebted to reggae, which you can hear, among other places, in the guitar, which plays the offbeats. Yes, and the Falamansa song has a guitar that, that plays the offbeats too. In fact, a lot of shoti in Fajon Vestaru is played with, with a pseudo-reggae feel. Shachi and reggae have some similarities in terms of swing. Yes, and reggae is very popular in Brazil. I'm sure we'll do an episode on Brazilian reggae, and we'll also talk about samba hegi, which is a form of music that adopts the word reggae as part of the genre name from the state of Bahia. Yeah, and it also shows up in subtle ways in all kinds of pop genres. Check this one out. That's Ela Disse Adeus by Os Paralamas do Sucesso from 1998. Paralamas do Sucesso adopt that offbeat feel as well. These examples also bring one more element into focus. All of these songs have a vocal delivery that is much more akin to pop rock, particularly anglophone pop rock, than to traditional forró. Ah, yeah, you're right. Which goes to show that even if the genre is ostensibly built around a desire to return to one's roots, the reality is that it's not a faithful recreation of this style that Luis Gonzaga pioneered. No, though you can still hear that kind of forró page serra at festas juninas every year. For sure. But forró universitario isn't that. It's music that is informed by the contact that its practitioners had with both the forró of Luis Gonzaga and the pop rock of the 1990s. So there's one other major differentiating factor with forró universitario that we should mention, even if we can't exactly show it in the podcast. What's that? Well, I believe that universitario is danced differently from other forms of forró, right? Yes. Oh, yes. It's actually quite distinct. So... Let's talk about the differences then. What is traditional forró like? What is the dance like? So in forró pedicerra, uh, it's a couple's dance, but it's pretty inf informal. And um, the idea is that everyone can dance to, you know, jump in and, and dance to. So you would go, I don't know, to the right, and then, then to the right again, then, and then to the left and to the left. And you, the, the, the dance steps are not um, super complicated so that people can join in and dance. Okay, so we heard about that a little bit in our Shochi episode. You can hear Mariana Aydach talk about two to the left, two to the right. That's similar to what you're talking about. She's talking about this traditional dance style, right? Yes. So what is the Fajó Universitario dance like? In a Fajó Universitario set, uh, setting, you have a more elaborate dance and even you know, looks like salsa dancing a little bit with spins and turns that um, a Fajó Padiceja wouldn't have. Um, and it's a marker of who's dancing and who taught that dance because Fajopa de Seja doesn't necessarily need to be taught. 
Oh, so for Ho Universitario, there is this system of classes and people sort of learning and progressing and becoming professionalized and, and showy, and it's a little bit more of a performative form than a participatory one. Yes, absolutely. Oh, okay. Anything else about dance that we need to talk about? Well, there are classes. There are Fajal classes everywhere in the U.S. From, from you know from Seattle to New York City and Boston. I'm sure Boston has a, a, a Fajal dance class. And when you walk in, guess what you hear? Fajal Investario, Falamansa, Shaj da Alegria. Absolutely, Fajal Investario, Falamansa, Shaj da Alegria. And Northeasterners usually don't feel comfortable in those classes. <laughs> right. I mean, this is what we're talking about, is how these genres can create opportunities for identification, but also opportunities for differentiation, which isn't always super inclusive. Yeah. And they they can both coexist. They can. Yeah. So let's recap. Okay. Fajal Investire is named for its initial makers and consumers, university students in the southeast of Brazil, especially in the city of Sao Paulo. Some of the practitioners seized on Fajal as a way to connect to an imagined past or a representative of an imagined roots of the country. It takes a lot of its musical cues from the more traditional Fajal page Serra, including the rhythms and the basic ensemble, but it combines them with melodic and harmonic ideas more common to pop rock, both in Brazil and in the Anglophone world. The vocalists also seem inspired by these genres. And the genres danced differently from other Fajal genres. So all of these things together sort of showcase a genre that um, is distinct in terms of class and distinct in terms of listenership and coexists alongside the more traditional genre, maybe is enjoyed by and performed by people from different backgrounds. Yeah. Just to show that many of these characteristics are true beyond Falamansa, let's show one more example. Okay. This is another São Paulo band that formed at the end of the 1990s, Hashtape. The name seems to be derived from the dance genre Ahashtape that we discussed in our Festa Juninas episode. For sure. They are definitely recalling one of the classic Fajó subgenres with their name. The song is called Colo de Menina. Listen for some of those qualities that we pointed out in the Falamansa example. Like the chimes. Like the chimes. <laughs> A lua quando brilha falo de amor No gingado desse shot sinto teu calor A noite acordado sonho com você yeah, yeah, yeah. O som ligado e fico perturbado sem ter o que fazer So this is another shoty. You hear a lot of shotis <laughs> in Fajal Universitario. That dance form lends itself to the kinds of dancing we discussed before. And you can really hear that offbeat guitar that's associated with reggae. This is basically the same ensemble as the Falamansa example. And mm, the first few chords of this song are exactly the same as Shoty da Alegria too. <laughs> a lua quando brilha falo de amor 
ser o que sou e o que gosta. Não sei quem sou e vou. Wow, very similar indeed. Uh, what about the lyrics? Wow, it's a love song. Uh, let's see. When the moon shines, I speak of love. In the swaying of this shochi, I feel your heart. Awake at night, I dream of you, etc. In the chorus, he sings, I don't want my mother's embrace. I just want the girl's embrace and to, little by little, conquer your heart. Okay, then. Both of these songs have a kind of youthful innocence. <laughs> they do, yeah. They don't remind me at all of the Klimilda song we heard a couple of episodes ago. Not at all. These seem more to reflect a romantic relationship ideal rather than the more explicit or more complex adult relationships that her songs do. But that's not the whole story with Faha. No. Contemporaneous to the development of Faha Universitario is another Faha subgenre called Faha Electronico. It's one that's more popular among working-class folks. As well as more popular on the whole in the Northeast. Yep. And one that has lyrics that aren't always, shall we say, PG. <laughs> But we're going to talk about that next time. So stay tuned for, and we really mean it this time, one more <laughs> fall episode. Yes. Then we're going to take a little break while we write and record some new episodes. But just for a couple of extra weeks, we'll update you on our Instagram and Twitter accounts. Just search for at ACFOMASA or click the link in the episode description. But for now, thanks, Skylar. Thanks, Juliana. It's been great, as always. This one was extra special to do it in person. Yes. Esse foi massa. Massa is written, produced, and edited by Juliana Cantarelivita and me, Skylar Weldon. For episode transcripts and links to further reading, please visit our website, essefoimassa.com. That's E-S-S-E-F-O-I-M-A-S-S-A dot com. You can email us at essefoimassa at gmail.com. Follow us at essefoimassa on Instagram and Twitter. Our intro music is by Sonda Massa, and our outro music is by Sammy Bananas. Please join us next time as we really, truly, I mean it this time, wrap up our Fajol episode with a discussion of Fajol Electronico. Until then, ese fue más. Chimes. Who could forget the chimes? <laughs> the chimes. <laughs>